Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Uh, this is a really uh, kind of like emotional and, and um, to the point to also message uh, that he delivers in this throughout you know this book. Um, and uh, he's dealing with Timothy ministering in Ephesus through many difficulties, and he's teaching him and he's encouraging him along the way. Uh, so if you can, would you stand for the reading of God's word? And then we'll pray after that. We'll be going through verse 9 this morning. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loading, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres uh, resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs also was. Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see and hear. Lord, that our hearts will be soft and receptive towards you and that you just have your way here this morning. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be working and moving and uh, Lord, that there would just be divine appointments and fitting words uh, to open hearts and open ears. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. But know this, verse 1, that in the last days perilous times will come. So the title of the message is Perilous Times, Perilous Men. Um, The idea of last days is interesting because uh, when we hear of last days, I think every generation since Christ has thought they were in the last days. I mean, uh, it's pretty evident even that Jesus talks about last days. So from Advent to Advent, we're all kind of living in what we would call the last days. Um, and, and because we're getting closer and closer, uh, why do we all think this? I think it's because there's good reason around us. I think there's a lot of reason to think we're in the last, last days, uh, but such as so many generations before us, but it's seemingly ramping up. Eventually, we know we're getting closer and closer. Uh, but last days is the word... Uh, it's eschatos. It's the word we get eschatology from. Um, it means dealing with last things or study of last things. Um, and it started again Advent. At Advent, as when Jesus came and started his earthly ministry, it was the new kingdom uh, at, at Pentecost. After Jesus had risen from the dead and then uh, ascended into heaven, we get the Holy Spirit that comes at Pentecost, and it becomes the church age. And we are in the church age. And this will go from Pentecost until we see the return of Christ. And so we are all part of this church age where the church of God is being used to um, 
bring forth God's kingdom, God's plan, the teaching, uh, give, bring light to darkness, to convince those who would choose to, to turn to the Lord. We're, we're part of the whole process. So we're in the middle of that church age, and yet we're also have the sense of like, man, this doesn't feel like it could go on like this forever, right? Uh, but it's interesting in Hebrews chapter one, the very first chapter of Hebrews, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through all, whom also he made the worlds. So it was last days then, it's last days when Paul was writing this to Timothy, last days, last days for us now. We're all in the same boat, right? Where we, where we can see it's things happening around us. So what are these perils, perilous times that kind of we could see as part of the last days? Well, we'll look at it. Perilous means dangerous. Dangerous or violent or hard times will come. And of course, we already experienced this in some ways. Uh, we see this presently. Uh, it was also present for them, but this letter was written to Timothy. So the context is, is most importantly for Timothy to Ephesus. That's how this letter was written. It's literally got his name on it. So the first point of writing this letter is to Timothy. The second part of it would be pastors, greater pastors, because he's talking to him as a leader. Uh, and then also for the whole body and the church. Um, it's important to understand context, like what things were written to who. And I think some of the most confusing things we see in the Bible uh, would not have been confusing at the time that they were written. Because they were written to a specific uh, people in a specific time for a specific reason. Uh, I think there's a good example of that in like the, the laws in like Leviticus. These laws made a lot of sense because it wasn't just about fabrics or about marking skin or anything like that. These were ways to, that they would look different. The children of Israel would look different than the neighboring people groups around them. So they're not just like arbitrary rules like God's like, I decided this is bad. I decided this is bad. He's like, these are all the things that signify all these other different people groups around you. And this is how you look different, set apart from them. Right? And so remember the, the main purpose of the law was to separate God's people from the rest of the world and the rest of the nations to be in a place where they are able to be blessed and used. Now, what's interesting is that there are people who weren't of Jewish descent that chose to join in on God's plan. So it wasn't like just for them. Anybody could have jumped in and joined in. Uh, they could, even if they're from other places, they could have become part of that. So, uh, but that's the point. It's always important to understand who was this written to, and that makes it make the most sense, okay? Uh, we, uh, what creates these perilous times? This is a good question. Perilous men whose lives look like this. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We're going to go through a huge list here, but I think they all have uh, things we need to look at. So lovers of themselves, selfish. You only think about yourself, Right? Do you like being around selfish people? No. Do you like being a selfish person? Sometimes, you know. <laughs> also, though, you get sick of it, right? Even when you're being selfish, it's like, man, I'm just being terrible, so I need to stop. No, these men will be lovers of themselves. I think it's important to note we're not to hate ourselves, right? But we're in this, this thing now where it's like self-love is, 
it's all pendulum swing, right? It's like we've taken it to the whole nother level. You know, it's like, oh, everybody thinks too bad about themselves. And now it's like, you know, you got to love yourself. Nothing needs to change in your life. You're perfect exactly as you are. You're, you know, you're the perfect star. You know, you're the snowflake, all this and that. I think God's made us unique and, and he's given us, you know, a unique purpose, unique calling, all of that. Uh, but we won't realize that until we are abiding in Christ and the Holy Spirit's working and changing us. So the idea that, you know, nothing needs to change is, is not true, right? And we know this. We know this. Like, things need to change. We're, we're gotten to a place in our culture and our, our world where uh, if you tell anyone that they need to change anything, it's like, you know, you're abusive. Uh, and that's just not true. That's actually what love is. Love points out stuff in a loving way. Like, man, this is not healthy. This is not good. Um, there's a better way. Like, and, and how do we know this? We come from a place of humility because we know ourselves. We've been in those positions. So, uh, but being selfish is somewhat like, Lift it up like a good thing right now. You worry about yourself. Don't worry about, you know, you just take care of number one. Don't worry about, about anybody else around you. Uh, that's the opposite of what Jesus did. And so men of this perilous time, these last days, will be selfish. Um, you know, Matthew 16, 24 says we're to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. If all you ever do is affirm yourself and, and you never say no to yourself, you will never do this. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. What's crazy is when you deny yourself, it's so difficult to do, but once you do it, there's nothing better than that. It just, it's like this, oh, this is what I was made to do. This was the purpose. Like I'm meant to be part of the bigger picture, the bigger program. So um, we deny, you know, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I say, don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think of yourself too lowly. Think of yourself soberly. Uh, there, I, I was listening to a message and they were talking about these statistics where they asked these people how good they thought they were at math, like what level they were. And everyone overshot it by quite a bit, right? And then they did the test and they found out exactly how good they were at it. Um, I remember, um, you know, in high school, we'd playing baseball and everybody had ideas of how hard they threw. And then one day someone showed up with a gun, radar gun, and everyone was pretty sure that that gun needed to be recalibrated because we know I definitely throw harder than that. Um, you know, I, uh, 82, you know, people are like 82. No, no, I think it, you mean 92, you know, it's like, Oh, reality truth serum. Oh, let's find out exactly what you're going to do. When we play football, they'd have these different clubs for, for weightlifting and you could get in the club as how much do you bench? How much do you squat? How much do you power clean? You'd be part of the 700 club, 800 club, 900 club. And you're like, Oh, I think I'm going to be part of the thousand, you know, club. And then you find out, no, you're not, you're not part of the thousand club. Uh, because when push comes to shove, you've got to put the weight up and then we'll find out. So to think of yourself soberly is to think of yourself in reality, in real, real terms. Meaning, meaning I recognize that God has created me 
as his masterpiece in Christ Jesus with great value, Imago Dei, in the image of God. And every person is part of the image of God. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's amazing. But we all have pretty serious flaws. And God is working things in and out of us constantly. So we look at our lives soberly. One of the best ways to really be able to look at your life soberly is to have other people around you or, I guess, to videotape yourself. That's what uh, I've mentioned before. Whenever I go into like a slump for hitting, I'm like, someone's got to film me. See what I'm doing. <laughs> this will be the judgment, the truth serum. You're, dude, you're lunging. What are you doing, man? Don't do that. You know not to do that, you know? And you could tell everybody else, don't lunge. And then you look at the video, I'm lunging. What am I doing? You know, that's because we look at soberly and then we're able to correct that and fix that. So, uh, uh, it's important to look at our lives in that way, okay? This is lovers of money, where that become valued possessions, things become more important to you than people, right? Uh, you may have heard of the saying to love people and use things, uh, but often it goes the opposite direction: is you love things and you use people to get more things, right? Um, we see this. This is definitely a problem in our culture, right? It's part, that's, this has been part of the world. Selfishness, loving money, that has been from the beginning, right? Um, so lovers of money, boasters, proud. These are arrogant people who are constantly bragging. It's to be puffed up, build yourself up, try to make yourself look better than others. Um, and what's, what's interesting is when we promote ourselves uh, over others, Others are less likely or less inclined to feel the need to say anything edifying to us. Where this gets really weird and not gnarly is people who have struggled to have people tell them that they're doing good in their life or have a positive voice in their life are the ones that are desperate for some sort of like, um, you know, approval. Please tell me I'm doing good. Please tell me I'm doing a good job. And when they feel like they're not getting it or enough of it, which by the way, there will never be enough. What do you start doing? Puffing yourself up, building yourself up, looking for ways to manipulate the system and make an algorithm to where now you can get yourself more likes, more comments, more follows. That's what the, that's, so that, but that, what's crazy about that is when you stay humble, it opens up opportunities for people to like look at your life and be like, man, that's really, you know, God, you're, God's really using you in a real cool way or dude, you're getting really good at that or whatever. I, I, I've told the story before of a guy I knew was really good at baseball and all, all he did was talk about how good he was at baseball. And so no one else would talk about how he was good. Even though he was really good, no one would be able to tell him that. And, and it, Drove him crazy because he's just like, I know I'm good. How come no one's telling me I'm good? It's like, because you're saying it for us. We don't have a space to say it. And I don't want to say it because I know it's going to, it's like, even though you probably should anyway, whatever. I guess maybe, is that proud? I don't know. Pride is actually the root sin, right? That's Satan. Pride. Pride says, I see you, God. I see you up there, and I see you doing everything you want to do. I've decided I can do it better. That's the same sin that we then see with Eve when the serpent is deceiving her that says, yeah, it says don't eat, right? God said that, but he's holding out on you. And so it says, you know what? God said this, but I think I know better. Pride comes before a fall so so often right i mean pride gets us into trouble so much 
You know, have, has pride ever gotten you to where you've bit off a little more than you can chew? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so pride, that's a big issue. And there's a lot of proud people out there in the way that they're living. And, and there's like things you're like, you should not be proud of these things. This is not a good thing. But it's because we feel like we know, you know, it's, it's, it's naturally in us, but it's, it's unchecked. And so it's becoming worse and worse. Blasphemers, th- these are those who are slandering the character of God. This is everywhere. People who say they're speaking for God or speaking about God. Have you heard some crazy, I mean, people say crazy, crazy stuff. I don't even want to repeat it. It's like so gross and toxic and wild. Slanders about who God is. And there's, there's no basis for it other than it's what you want him to be. Right? That's usually what slander is. Slander is stacking the deck against people, in this case, or God, so that you can put yourself in a better position, right? When you slander someone, you tear them down so that you can build yourself up. A lot of times people do that to get promotions. You slander someone and you talk behind their back and you say stuff about them that's borderline at best, untrue usually. And, and so that's a way you know, if I, if I knock them down, I will find myself in that position. What's interesting is uh, a lot of times the sword that you use will be the same sword that will kill you eventually. You'll find yourself in a similar position. So there's blasphemers everywhere. Disobedient to parents. Um, I think the breakdown of the family is a huge deal to society. A huge deal to society. And there's disobedience to parents everywhere. So I grew up in the 90s, right? How many, else, how many of you guys grew up in the 90s? We all grew up in that. Do you know the shows and the movies we watched? The parents were completely clueless. They, like, they literally knew nothing that was going on at all. Like, they were like, what? You bought a home somewhere? I didn't know that. Or, like, Home Alone. Two movies, the parents leave their son in. They lose their son twice. You know, like, I don't know parents like this. But it was like, that, that, that's what you were thought to believe. It's like, oh, these parents, adults don't know anything. They don't know anything. You could figure it out on your own. You get some rollerblades, you know, you'll rollerblade through the mall and then, you know, you'll find a blank check and, and uh, then you'll beat up bad guys with BB guns, you know. It's like, this, this is the premise of the 90s, you know. And, and it's like, as much as it's entertaining, you look at it and you go, yeah, there's like a complete disobedience towards parents. I actually see the similar thing with a lot of the cartoons that they do to dads. It's wild what they do to dads. The dads are always so dumb. And like they don't know anything. And they're just kind of like in la-la land. They're not engaged. They're just kind of like, you know, whatever. And it's like dad will say something, but he doesn't know anything. So we'll fix this for him. It's the breakdown of the family and disobedience in children. You know, the the statistics are insane uh, how much uh, difference of a difference it makes Live, growing up in a, in a stable household versus not, especially one where the, the parents are engaged in their children's lives and the children are listening and they're, 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 they trust their parents and they've been raised to uh, not disrespect you. So this is a family thing, the family dynamic. And do you guys think the family is being attacked right now? You don't need a family. We're your new family, you know? 
And, and I'd been around friends is like, you know, where they, they come from really bad backgrounds, really bad families, and so they make their own family. But I'll tell you what, that family doesn't last long. It breaks down because everyone in that family is using one another. And eventually that doesn't work. In a real family with real parents that care about the kids and kids that honor their parents, there is a covering and a grace and a blessing. So in these last days, there's going to be a breakdown of the family. The kids are disobedient. They think they know things they do not know. Amen, parents? You know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. You think you know. You become less smart every year as you realize you never knew much, right? Unthankful. So that would be lacking being grateful. Instead of being grateful for what you have, you instead are brats. Thankfulness is a big theme. God wants us to be thankful. When we're thankful, we are reminded of all that God has done, all that God is doing. We're keeping our eyes fixed and focused on, on, on all. And it's, it's, it's like, it blows your mind. Start, start listing out the blessings in your life and you will be overwhelmed with gratitude. You, you could also make a list of the stuff that you're struggling with or that's hard for you. You know, that, that exists too, no doubt, right? But like, think about all the things you have to be grateful for. I try to lim- like say those even at night with the kids. There's, there's a lot of things. So un- being unthankful, not good. Unholy, right? What's the definition of holy? Something that's set apart or dedicated unto the Lord. That means these people are, are in the last days are not set apart. They're, they're not dedicated to God. They have no allegiance to what God has asked and called them to do, right? And for a long time, uh, the reason we would be careful with, all right, let's not go too hard on this thing, was because you might become too, do you guys remember it is? Legalistic? I I think the legalist is kind of dying off a little bit. I don't know if there are any, too many anymore, you know? We've swung pretty far the other way. Not to say that, to be a legalist is a good thing. But like our, our whole idea of any sort of commitment to God is like seen almost as legalism. It's like, do, do we read what Jesus says to his disciples that want to follow him? And so we have to ask ourselves, am I happy with the life that's being produced by the level of commitment I have? And if it's not, we know exactly where to look. It's because we're not allowing God to have full access to our life. We've given him a small little section of it and it's just not what you were created to, you were created to give him the whole thing. As, and as you receive from that, from him, as he receives our life, he, he then invades all the different crevices and changes everything from the inside out. So dedicated to the Lord is to made, be made Holy. Right? And so we kind of have the idea or the, the, the picture of priests. You know, we all play the part of like these priests before God who can go and meet with God and then are representatives also of Him. So, um, verse three unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self control, brooder, brutal, brooder, yeah, nice, brutal, despisers of good. So without love or forgiveness, um, that's, that's unloving, unforgiving. Without love, without forgiveness. What's really interesting now is uh, this is seen as being virtuous in some ways. Don't forgive people, 
right? And don't give love to people in, in some sense, right? If they, you know, we use our lack of love or our forgiveness to hold others hostage, you know, because if being a victim is the ultimate goal, then forgiveness is not something you're looking for. And love is not something you're looking for. Because what does love do? Covers a multitude of what? Sins. So love opens up the door to, to reconcile and make things well. But if your identity and your standing is in being a victim, what's the point? You know, you don't want that. You actually want to stay doing what you were doing before. Uh, so we hold others hostage by not forgiving or loving them. But in reality, who's really getting punished with that lifestyle? It's us. The one who's not forgiving. The one who's not loving. They will always take the worst wound. Because it's like you'll find out, every once in a while you'll find out somebody like held something against you. I remember it happened to me once. Or I guess I did something to some girl in high school. Like I don't remember. Like threw something in her hair or something. And she was mad forever about it. And she's like, you really upset me. And I've been mad at you ever since. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I had no idea that you were so mad at me. And it has not affected my life 1% until right now. Like, I, it affected me 0% until right now. But I apologize. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was like kind of a dummy. And I did stuff basically all, like just stuff that's not, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's also not good. I don't, it wasn't throwing, I don't know what it was. She's just like holding it and holding it. And she's like, you just, I've, I've always been angry at you over that. You're like, well, okay, I'm sorry. I don't know. Okay. But and I, so I apologized. And, and all of a sudden there was freedom there, but I wasn't feeling the brunt end of that. She was, she was holding that. And so it's like, I actually would have been best as if she would have come to me a long time ago and said, Hey, you really offended me. Even in my like unregenerated state, I would have said, I'm sorry. I don't think I would have like wanted her to be like upset forever. Anyway, but when you hold someone hostage by not forgiving them, not extending love towards them, you're really hurting yourself the most by, by quite a bit. Slanderers against, so that's slandering against one another, lying to make others look bad so we look good. Uh, so we had um, those who'd slander or blasphemers, which is slandering God. This is slandering against each other. No self-control. Uh, we can experience self-control when we give God our lives. I think some people just full-on have given up on self-control. And, and the world sees absolutely no need for self-control because it's who we are. Who, why would you want to be restricted from doing what you want to do? Well, because some of the things I want to do are not good things. Like there's some things I desire to do that are not good, right? So why would I do that? I, I just, I remember when I was a kid, my brother had this blonde hair and it was so fine, like thin and soft. And he was like a, two years younger than me and he'd just be sitting there and I'd just, I'd be like, I'd just whack him on the head, just slap him, boom. But like, I don't know why. It was like this desire I had and he'd be like, ah, oh, why'd you do that? I was like, I don't know, man, your hair, it's just like soft, bam, smack. Or if he beat me at Street Fighter, Whack, you know, just smack him on the top of his head. Ah, do I desire to smack him on the top of his head? Yes. Is it a good thing? No. 
I mean, you're like, well, you're harming him. It's either you're harming him or you're harming yourself. A lot of the desires we have, even though we think they're not harming anyone else, they're absolutely harming ourselves. That's where our private lives get us into major, major, major damage, like problems. You go, oh, no one knows. It's, all, it's just between me. It's just me. I'm, I'm not harming anyone. The, if, if it's out of alignment of what God wants for your life, then it is harming you for sure. It's causing a major effect in your life, more than you think, way more than you know. And so we don't want to live that kind of lifestyle, right? Because we're looking to be transformed. And if we're going to be transformed, we've got to experience self-control. What's self-control? A fruit of the Spirit. You end up getting self-control as the Spirit is working inside of you, and you start saying no to the old man, right? Billy Graham used to talk about that all the time. There's two dogs going on. There's two dogs inside you, and they're fighting for your soul. There's the dog of the flesh and the dog of the spirit. Whatever dog you feed is going to win. You know that? I don't have a good, you know, impersonation of him. Billy Graham. Maybe that was a little better. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but he, he would talk about that. And I remember hearing that and being like, oh my gosh, you've got to starve the flesh. As soon as, soon as you start starving the flesh and saying no, all of a sudden things get a lot clearer. And you find out you're not a slave to sin if you're in Christ. Because that's what we talked about. Remember baptism. You go into the water. You come out, those chains are broken, you, and it's a symbol, right? You're actually, the chains are broken the second you accept Christ. But that's a symbol and a sign and a, and a picture of what it is to be new in Jesus. Boom, go down in the water, come out, new creation. Chains are broken. And so then we have to experience that we actually are in that position, that we actually the chains are actually broken, that we can say no to the flesh. And this is something you try and teach your children. Like, I, I can't help it. You can, and you will, for you must. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can't help it. Yeah, we all understand that. You know, what it feels like when you're trapped. Self-control says no, and then we grow. So, um, yeah, the world, like I said, the world sees no need for self-control, because um, we think that being doing whatever you want is the best. It's the best version of yourself, and that's just so not true. And really, we don't have to think that hard about that. I mean, really, we don't. If you just went off every whim you had, how would that go? You know, everybody would be like, you know, eight hundred and fifty pounds, and we'd all, you know, <laughs> have just nothing but trouble in our life because you're like, I feel like eating all-you-can-eat sushi every day. That would not be good, though, would it? Not a good decision. Okay, brutal, despisers of good. Uh, we see this all the time. Brutal is, is like when you see somebody using excessive, it's like evil, right? Choosing to do things in an evil way. Like, are you kidding me? Is that seriously in the news headlines? Is that really happening? Did a mother really do that to their child? I mean, just the crazy stuff you hear, or, or uh, you know, a, or a child to their parents, all kinds of stuff. Or despisers of good. Good looks evil, evil looks good, right? We are calling evil good and good evil. That is, that is all over the place, isn't it, right? 
people call evil good and evil. And I remember thinking, how is that going to really happen? And it's like, uh, I, now I know. <laughs> I see it. We see it, right? Verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Traitors. These are betrayers, lack of loyalty, not following and honoring God. Turn your back. That's like turning your back on Christ in the church. There's a lot of people have done that. Sadly, Paul talks about it all the way back then in these last days, you know, when they started. Betrayers of, uh, of, of God. They're traitors. They've ran away. And Paul's like, man, their God is their belly. He says it weeping when he sees them decide to not follow Jesus anymore. Headstrong. The idea of headstrong is being rash or reckless. Satan is the chaos monster. All he wants is chaos on the earth. God is all ordered. Everything he does is ordered and beautiful and wonderful. Satan is nothing but chaos. He brings chaos everywhere he goes. And, and that's his job, to stir up chaos. And we've seen what chaos can, can do. Chaos can reshuffle everything quickly. And so headstrong, being rash or reckless, you're playing right into the hands of the enemy. And, and when, when someone's crazy or headstrong or rash, everyone has to slow down. Everyone has to look around because you don't know what's going to happen next, right? My kids go in Legoland. They'll go on the little go-karts. And inevitably, there's always there's certain kids who just run into the other kids. Just boom, you know. And sometimes they're doing it on purpose. And they'll get like a warning and then they're done. Because it starts to breed chaos. Everyone else is like freaking out, trying to get away from them. Ah, it's a bigger deal when you do like K1 up here, right? And you're going really fast and people are just trying to hit you. You're going to get, is it black flag or what? I don't know what it is. You end up having to get off the track. Let's go, get off here. You're done. You know, keep on hitting people. And so chaos brings chaos. It's not good, right? Haughty. The idea of haughty is puffed up or arrogant. You think you know. Like you're arrogant. You're living there. And your, your ignorance is, you have arrogance in your ignorance. Like you really are so certain that you know. And you, you don't, right? And so that's part of the last days. Overestimating your wisdom and understanding. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but not denying its power, and from such people turn away. This is really important to understand. These people were in and around the church in the last days. This was happening around the church. This was affecting and infecting the church. And, and unfortunately, we are witnessing this happening throwing out huge chunks of scripture because of like, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't think I like that. Oh, you know what? Let's, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. How many of you guys have heard of the Jesus seminar? Do you ever, anybody heard of the Jesus seminar back in the day where they would, they decided to, to, you know, these scholars would go through and decide which words were actually um, about Jesus. And they chopped up the Bible oh, that couldn't be right, that can't be right, that can't be right, that can't be right, that can't be right. And so what do you end up with? You end up with your own God, which is really you, because you're the ultimate authority. And so we can't let culture be the ultimate authority. We've got to let the scripture continue to be the authority. And if you come across something that you don't understand, that's what we're here for. Let's chop it up. Let's look at it. You know, like let's grow and look, okay, Understanding in its context, I've found, man, this makes sense. 
not only does it make sense where it's appeasable, but you're like, oh, I get that. I actually understand that. One, that's why I, was ta- I used the uh, example about Leviticus. Because people go, what kind of a religion is this? You can't do this, and you can't have this, and you can't do you know, whatever. You can't wear these fabrics, and you can't have all these different things. And everyone's hypocrites because they do all these things. You're like, well, you understand the cultural context. So the word of God is, is so good, and it's, it, you, but you've got to understand what it's actually saying. That's where we see people take one verse, and they'll make a meme out of it, and they remove it out of, a con- out of paragraphs and chapters and books of context. And people go, oh, wow. I thought the Bible was real, but now that I've seen a really well-done graphic, I think I'm out of here. And it sounds like a joke, but it's reality. And it's happening to young people all the time. Because there's not enough foundation built up. And so these people are deceptive. That's why Paul's warning them. And that's why Paul keeps telling Timothy, Timothy, keep teaching them doctrine. Keep teaching them what they need to know. Keep on building them up. So when they see this stuff, they'll know and understand and see it for what it is. And they'll go, this this is nonsense. And they won't be blinded, right? Right? So they have a form of godliness, but they're denying its power. So he's saying, turn away from these people. They know how to kind of look like a Christian without experiencing any of what it means to actually become a Christian. There's no transformation. You're not actually transformed to becoming more like Jesus. And so you know the lingo. You know how to say the stuff. And you know how to answer the right answers, you know, or whatever. So he says, turn away from these people. Verse 6. We'll hurry up here. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Um, so these people are sneaking around, worming their way uh, into, into these households where they would, churches would be meeting, most likely, right? And so this was probably an actual problem going on in Ephesus because Paul's talking to Timothy about Ephesus, this was happening. It's probably happening to these women who are there. And what does it say about these women? Because uh, it made captives of gullible women loaded down with sins. It's not that women are gullible. It's that these women are gullible because they're loaded down with sins. When are you gullible? It's like when you want to believe something a lot of times. And so they're loaded down with sins. And so these people are coming in and saying, your sin isn't actually sin. The thing you think is sin isn't actually sin. Isn't that good news? And so they're like, yeah, I think it is actually kind of good news. Because now I don't have to change my life. I can continue going on the path I was going on. But does that, is that really very reassuring? You know, it's like, okay, this sin you say, it, you know, we've cleared ourselves from, you know, the guilt of this sin. But it doesn't actually free us from anything. So it's, you know, that's kind of, this is a huge problem with our world again today. The church ourselves making a way that is different than the path that Christ provided for us. Where he's like, he says, come and follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. You know, I, I like, I, I've sacrificed my body, my blood for your sins. I am the spotless lamb, the serpent crusher that was from the beginning, the solution to the problem, the one who would, who would now bring you back to fellowship with God where you can have this relationship with him. But it, it, it's, it's going to take you repenting and turning from your old life because it's all, recognizing, seeing it for yourself, that it's just toxic, it's poison. And so when you see it as poison and toxic and you say, I'm done with that life and you turn to a new life, everything changes. 
It's repentance. So we don't look for people who will give us messages that will make us feel better. We look for the real solution, you know? Say you got a horrible medical diagnosis and you're just, you're so sad about it and it's such a bummer and you go, this is, this is gnarly and you know there's a treatment for it, but the treatment's going to mean you're losing a lot of like your life or you're losing like, you're going to lose a lot of time. You're not going to be able to do the things you want to do for a while. There's going to be a season in a sense where you have to give up stuff that you've been used to and, you know, kept for a long time, right? But if there's a solution and you go, oh gosh, okay. Um, and then you think, well, I wonder if there's another doctor out there that'll tell me that I don't actually have this and that I won't have to worry about any of this anymore. And so you go and you find someone who tells you exactly what you want to hear. And when you hear it, you go, oh, good. Now I feel better. Did it change anything in your body? No, absolutely not. What it did was that it appeased your mind, but only for a little while. And, and sooner or later, it's all going to come out. All the fruits of, of what you know, have in your life is going to come out. And if you can hit it, take it on the head and go, okay, look, there's a solution to this. And is, it's, it's going to be, uh, but I have to leave the old behind and, and everything I thought I knew behind and, and, and now follow a new way, a new path. Everything will change from there. Um, verse seven, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Collectors of knowledge. Uh, we see this throughout the, Old or the New Testament. Um, these people who are like, wait, can't wait to hear about every new thing. Oh, what? Tell us something. Oh, wow, a new thought. Hmm, I wonder what this God is, you know? Every new thing, as long as it doesn't actually affect our lives. Again, we were made to be transformed. God wants to literally change our life. This is not the feel-good kind of club where it's like, you know, I come to church and I like, now I feel like I'm part of a, of a crew. I'm part of this whatever. It is a family, but it's a family of sinners saved by grace who are now becoming more and more uh, formed into uh, the likeness of Christ. Transformation. So we know what we believe, and then we look to experience the things that we know that we believe. Now, verse 8 and 9. Now, uh, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So who is this Janus and Jambres, or Jambres, however you say it? Um, the, there's not really scriptural reference, but uh, they were believed to be the magicians in Pharaoh's court. Um, when, when Moses and Aaron roll into there, um, and so they had the wisdom of the age. So, uh, but they're exposed, right? Now, as Janus and Jebus resisted Moses, so did these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. But then it says at the end there, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So the world, these, these last days perilous men in these perilous times, their folly will be made clear to all. It will not continue like this forever. Can we get an amen? <laughs> Exodus chapter 7. I'll give the quick reference and then we'll be done here. Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, say, saying, show a miracle for yourself 
for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men, potentially these guys, and the sorcerers, so the magicians of the of Egypt, they all also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serp serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. All of these false philosophies and ideas, all of these perilous thinkings and perilous times. It's all going to be exposed in time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, a light's going to be shown on it. It's all going to be exposed. That's why we get to be a part of exposing it, not because we're like, we don't want to be the I told you so people, but we want to be people that can shed light on darkness and help people to see it for themselves so they can walk and leave that. So a lot of us have experienced that for ourselves, where you were in the dark, and you could not see, and then all of a sudden God came into your life, and now you experience light, and you walk in your new creation. And you, all of a sudden you see everything so clearly. How did I miss it for so long? God's wisdom is going to swallow up all the wisdom of this age. It's not even going to be close. So we, we don't bow to culture. We don't bow to these perilous times. We continue in the doctrines and the teachings that have been going on for thousands of years that have produced life, that have produced missionary endeavors, that have produced hospitals in, in third world countries. We're going to continue in following Jesus on his path and saying, we'll follow you. We don't care about what culture does. Perilous times, perilous men, we're not going that way. And we, but we recognize, hey, look around us. This is what's happening. So it's a double down. When you see the world around you uh, and it's become so enticing and you watch friends fall, it's, it's heartbreaking. But we need to continue to be steadfast and to continue to take up our cross and follow Jesus, even if it feels like we're the only ones left. Because we know God and we know what he says. And we know at the end of all this, he, he is not mocked. He is not mocked, and he will produce what he wants to produce, and we get to be a part of that. So, Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you, and God bless.